Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. All right. Well, I'm so um, excited about um, the season of the year and I'm and, and so grateful for all that God is doing. And we're just constantly hearing more and more stories about the ways God's moving. We're just hearing more than we've ever heard. And uh, one I got sent to us the other day, it's a simple story, but I loved it and I thought I would share it. Uh, Matt Bailey sent it in and this is what he wrote. Um, but he said, over the last month, a student who comes to my gym started asking very vague questions about Christianity. Last week, he came in and told me that he had stayed up all night reading the Bible, which is awesome. He, he was actually reading from a devotional that he had found, and he said, I was reading about God and Jesus and temptation, and there's this thing that God says is his most powerful weapon. And I said, yeah, that's his Holy Spirit. And he replied with excitement and eagerness to learn more. He said, yeah, Matt, what is that all about? And I can't explain the excitement and joy it brought me to be able to answer his questions and get to explain to him about the power of God's Holy Spirit and to talk about God to him and most of all, God's love for him. I spent my drive home just praising and thanking God and I prayed that he would continue to stir more in this young man. And, I, and this is Matt saying, I believe that God is already working in the hearts of a hundred or more salvations that we've been praying for in our church. I pray that we all as a church continue to stay disciplined to reading his word and being in constant communication with him. But I also pray we have open eyes at our workplace because that's where these salvations are gonna come from, not just from in our church. We have people like this, we all do around us. And I'm so excited for 24 seven prayer. I know that our God is going to move in our church and all these people's lives and I can't wait to witness it. Amen, I love it, I love, I love it, it's so good. And so. It is April 7th, um, which means we are two weeks away, as we know, from Easter, and we are in week number 47 of this teaching series called Jesus, He Changed Everything About? Everything. everything. That's right, and I believe that it is a must to spend this Sunday and next Sunday focusing on Jesus and the cross. Uh, we, I want to talk about it because the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is the culmination, if you will, uh, of His purpose here on earth. It's the thing, his sacrifice on our behalf, and of course his, his resurrection and victory over death is the ultimate purpose of why God even sent Jesus into this, into this world. And so I want to talk about Jesus and the cross today and, 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 and again next week, but the cross, the actual symbol of the cross is something that, it's really everywhere in the world, it's Something that a lot of people see as a very churchy thing, a very religious thing. It's a spiritual symbol of some sort. But it's actually very much in mainstream culture. It's all, all over the place. It's just a symbol you don't really get away from much. I have a few pictures to kind of help back me up with this. Um, this is our man, Vin. <laughs> What's up, Vin? <laughs> so Vin, of course, sporting uh, the cross necklace, right? I mean, this is Vin Diesel, which, by the way, I was like, that can't really be his name, Vin Diesel. Come on. His name is Mark Sinclair, just so you know. Just so you know, when you get biceps like that, you have the last name Diesel, not Sinclair, I guess. So anyway, there's, there's, there's that. And then there's this guy, right? And there's Pope Francis. He's sporting it as well, which begs the question, who wore it better? You know what I mean? <laughs> Probably Mark Sinclair. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's a few other things like, um, you know, there's the cross that fends off vampires. That's in our culture, right? Like we all know that the cross really is powerful against those vampires. And then, of course, um, we decorate our homes with the cross. 
sometimes many, many crosses. Um, anybody, anybody want to admit? Wall? You got a wall of crosses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, this is also representative of what we see as death of loved ones and crosses are all across graveyards. Um, and then we, of course, not only decorate our homes, we decorate our bodies with crosses. Uh, it's probably the most tattooed item in the world, right? Some version of a cross with barbed wire, which was not a part of the cross, I don't believe. Um, the crosses are everywhere, right? And since the crucifixion of Jesus, the cross has served as a symbol to so many. Um, so I just want to ask you, as we get into this conversation, what does the cross symbolize to you? Meaning, what, what is the thing, if you really are thinking about the cross, like what, what, what does it mean to you? So, like I said, I want, to, I want to pull you into the conversation, so I'm going to let you, even right now, come up with a word that you say, this is what I think of when I think of the cross. And I want you to just tell the person next to you. It doesn't have to be the word that includes everything that the cross represents. It's way bigger than one word. But what's one word that the cross um, represents to you? Tell the person next to you. Go ahead. Go. Go for it. A little talk. A little conversation. Requires conversation. Requires speaking. All right, real quick, get a few words. The first service, by the way, is way more talkative than you. Um, which, by the way, I'll just say this. There's three types of people that go to our church. When I say it's open streets, they go, oh, I'm not coming to church then. When I say it's open streets, they go, oh, I'm going to the 930 service then because that's more practical. And then there's you. <laughs> and you're like, there's no weapon formed against me that will stop me from getting to church at 11. So anyway, way to go. You may not talk but you get places where you want to get when you want to get there. Amen? All right. Some words that you guys said. Anybody just give me a word. Sacrifice. Anything else? Salvation. Grace. Torture. What? I keep hearing a word. I'm not. Free. One more time. Goal. All right. So here's the thing. We could say all sorts of words, sacrifice, forgiveness, um, love. I heard true love a little while ago, um, and then we heard torture. I mean, most of these words are good words, right? Most of these things that we see the crosses, hope, people say, you know, that we say all these sorts of good words, forgiveness, when we talk about the cross. And these are good words. Most of them are good words when we think about the cross. But I want to give you another word. I want to read a passage to you from 1 Corinthians. comes chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, For the message, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. So this is the word I want to start us with, that the cross is the power of God. Paul later writes that there's no power greater than the one to overcome death, which Jesus did through the resurrection, right? That Jesus and the greatest power of his resurrection is the greatest power the world has ever known. But notice what he says at the beginning of this passage when Paul writes, the cross is foolishness to people. Have you ever met someone that thinks faith is a sign of weakness? Anybody ever met someone that thinks faith is a sign of weakness? It's foolishness to some. You ever met someone that says, really, really, you still believe this stuff? You believe all these kind of like fables in this book? That's, it's foolishness. The cross is foolishness to some people. Paul goes on to write in verse 22, same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, or he uses Greeks as another way to talk about people who are non-Jewish. And he says, Jews demand a sign. They want a sign, but Greeks look for wisdom. 
But we, meaning the church, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So Jews, they want a miraculous sign. Do you ever remember the stories in the gospel when Jesus is going, all you ever want is a sign from me. When is the day that you're, not gonna, you're gonna quit wanting from me and you're just gonna want me? This is what Jesus says over and over again, which is a message in and of itself, right? When are you gonna quit wanting from me and just want me? You want a sign. Well, how about just, how about just me? Do you ever want me? And then, and then there's the, the Gentiles or the Greeks. They just, they want wisdom. They want logic. They want the answers. They want science and math and some sort of linear understanding of how everything came to be. Now, isn't this the same thing that people want today? They say, God, give me a sign that you're real, right? God, will you show me some sort of sign? And then there's the other people that are like, we know... We just want creation and our existence. We want all those things to be a matter of science. We want them to be a matter of human logic. And so the world has tried to actually pit science and spirit against one another, but they aren't, by the way, in conflict by any stretch. In fact, science, logic, creation, the things, of, uh, that, the things that have happened, the questions of what and how, have led many in the world over the years, including scientists, to believe that, that actually science and spirit are wedded together and engaged in all we see. Paul writes that the cross actually destroys the wisdom of the wise. That's what he writes. The cross also calls us to faith beyond reason, which will look like foolishness to some because it's actually the wisdom of God instead of the wisdom of man. And so if people are depending on the wisdom of man, it looks like foolishness. So what's interesting about what the Greeks wanted, what the Gentiles wanted, and what the Jews wanted, it is actually, the cross actually powerfully meets both of these things, gives them everything they want. They just don't realize it because the Jews wanted a sign, and the cross is the greatest sign of the power of God. It's also a call to faith, which will look foolish in the eyes of those who want to be their own God. But for those who are wise and understand that they are limited in their power and they really have no power of their own, that they realize they must depend on the wisdom of God, well, it becomes something that crushes the wisdom of the wise. You see, power isn't in our elegant words or in our human wisdom. At some point, every human being should come to grips that those things are limited. There's only one thing that has been proven over and over again that is unlimited, and it is the power of the Creator, the power of God. So when we think of the cross, we think of words like forgiveness and love and hope, for, you know, grace, mercy. Those are the primary words that a lot of us think of when we think of the cross, um, but I want us to connect that there is this power. That's what, I want us to connect to the, to the cross at a deeper level, not just with the power, but I want us to start there with the power of the cross. I want us to show you a picture. Um, around, the time, around the time of Jesus, it was actually, there was a slave revolt against the Roman Empire that, um, that, that was eventually crushed by the Romans. The Romans captured 6,000 of these slaves that were trying to revolt against them, and they, and they decided to 
show a lesson to those who would travel through this area, and they crucified 6,000 slaves across this, it's called the Appian Highway, for 119 miles. The cross represented one of the most brutal forms of capital punishment of the, of the world at the time. It was used for centuries way before Jesus. Common form, like I say, of capital punishment. The cross dates back to the Persian Empire. The Persians were the ones who defeated the Spartans. You know, those 300, we are Sparta. <laughs> well, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> the Persians killed you. The Persians used the cross and then it was passed to the Greeks and Alexander the Great, and then it was passed to the Romans. And governments used crucifixions as a way to publicly humiliate and strike fear and to thwart uprisings, to bend people into submitting to their laws and to their oppression. That's what the cross was used for. So what do you think people of Jesus' day would have thought of when they said, what does the cross symbolize to you? It would have probably been words like terror, murder, execution, judgment, oppression, violence, fear, racism, hatred. There's nothing good about it. So the cross is this paradoxical thing. One of the worst things ever that now we say good things about. Today we wear an execution method around our necks. We take an execution method and decorate our homes. But the cross does something really powerful for those who encounter it. You see, most of us in this room know the story of Jesus, right? Of course, he was bloodied. Before he even got to the cross, he was bloodied, he was flogged, he was beaten before the spikes were driven through his hands and his feet and he was hung on a cross. The, cr the cruelty of the religious leaders, the Jewish Sanhedrin, it's kind of unthinkable. It's hard to imagine that these religious leaders would demand one of the most brutal forms of execution of one of their own. They would ask their enemy, right? They would ask their Roman occupiers, the world's instruments of, if you will, of darkness and idolatry and power coerced through violence. This is the institution they asked to carry out this execution. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that the Roman governor Pontius Pilate sees Jesus, finds no charge against him, says, I'm going to wash my hands of this. This is not my execution. Yet then he goes ahead and he carries out the execution, even though he knows he's an innocent man. He doesn't want to be responsible for the death of Jesus, so he washes his hands and what do the Jewish people do? They don't want to be responsible for the death of Jesus, so they ask the Romans to carry it out. Yet, in the same way as Pilate carried it out, they shout, crucify, crucify. No one wanted his death on their hands. 
And I just want us to know all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are responsible for the death of Jesus. Spiritual and non-spiritual, good and bad. Religious and non-religious. No one can actually wash their hands of the death of Jesus. We're all responsible. We all carry it because it was our sin that actually took him to the cross. Yet, it was God himself that chose to do it. He didn't have to die, but he wanted his love for all people to be displayed for every Jew, for every Gentile, for the good, the bad, the rich, the poor. He willingly laid his life down. So ultimately, who's responsible for the death of Jesus? God's responsible for it. Because can you execute someone who willingly lays down their life as a sacrifice? Somehow, this cross, though, and the empty tomb, of course, somehow that moment splits history in two. Everything in our world revolves around the cross, what happened before the cross and what happened after the cross. Everything is calendared based upon Jesus and the cross. Jesus has changed the world more than any person, any event, or anything that you can imagine. He's changed everything. And it's amazing that God comes in the flesh into a world, into a time in history that it should have not have been noticed what happened. It should not have been noticed 21 centuries later and that there's still a movement growing. It shouldn't have happened because there's no web, no media, no television, no printing press to tell the story of the good news of Jesus, to spread it around the world. Nobody put Jesus on the world tour so everybody could see all the things he can do. It shouldn't have ever happened for one man to show up, kick up a bunch of dust in Galilee, die on a cross. The world should have missed it. We shouldn't have even noticed. There's no reason that this story should have endured. There's no mechanism that should have allowed it to continue to go. There's nothing that's existed until today in terms of its mass communication should have allowed this story to build the way it's built. But this is not, of course, just a story about a man. This is a story about something much bigger, the crucifixion, the cross. The cross was something that governments used to crush movements. And to strike fear into the heart of every man and every woman. And it was the crucifixion in the cross that actually <laughs> sparked a worldwide movement. And sent a shockwave of God's spirit to every nation and every tribe. How does that happen? God actually used the instrument that governments used to thwart uprisings to actually initiate the greatest uprising ever. God actually used the thing to strike fear and, 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 and defeat into the hearts of those who were witness to this most brutal form of execution to actually place peace and hope for a better future and a better tomorrow in Christ. God used the thing that was supposed, supposed to be something really bad to become something that we talk, today talk about as a really good thing. A revival is still burning in this world where Jesus declared the cross is for every man and every woman. And we know this, but we got to hear it 
It's for every man, every woman, every Jew, every Gentile, every nation, every American, every European, every Asian, every African, every Arab, every Latino. It's for every criminal, every priest. It's for every missionary. It's for every drug addict, every homeless person, every run-of-the-mill, salt-of-the-earth person. It's for every business leader. It's for every Democrat, Republican, and even Libertarians. It's for, it's for every anarchist. It's for every independent. It's for every person who is rich and poor and everybody in between. The cross is for everyone. Everyone needs it. And he went to the cross for you. And some of us Christians need to remember that it's for everyone. We need to remember that it's for them too. And sometimes we use the language today that, oh, oh, Jesus he, he sacrificed himself for us. He gave his life for us. He died for us. And I believe that is so true, and it's such a great description of what he did. But I just want us to say today that it's way, way, way bigger than that. It's way bigger than the fact that Jesus died for you. Because there have been so many people that have died for others in the history of the world, haven't there been? There have been fathers who have died for their children. There have been brothers who have died for their sisters. There have been acts of heroism over and over and over again. There have been firefighters and policemen and soldiers who have all died for people they knew and didn't know. And every one of those acts of heroism, they all matter. They should not go unnoticed. Every one of those sacrifices made, that's why this isn't just a sacrifice. It's something much, much bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. Do you understand that he took on your sin and he took it to the cross? And you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. No, no, no. he took on your sin and my sin and all the sins of the world, all the darkness, all the pain, all the suffering, all the hatred. He took it all and he took it to the cross. Can you imagine the weight of that and the pain of that at the cross? See, a lot of us, we, we, we talk about it, but we're like, oh, yeah, but can you imagine the weight of the world coming upon Jesus at the cross? Our minds cannot comprehend how big that is. That's why the cross is way, way bigger than we think. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve are in the garden in chapter 3. They commit a sin. And, and then when they, their eyes are open and now they're ashamed and they feel guilty and they feel, they feel the weight of their sin and they, they go and hide. Jesus comes in the, I mean, excuse me, God comes in the garden and, he, and he, he's looking there and he finds them hiding and says that they are ashamed of their nakedness. And then it says that God actually goes and he takes some skins from animals to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame and their sin. Inferring that the, that the blood of some innocent animals the first time ever had to be shed in order to cover their shame and their sin. And then from that point on, centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries of a practice was known as making sacrifices to cover our sin, to atone for the sins of people. And so innocent animals were sacrificed forever. And so can you imagine the power it was when John the Baptist sees him for the first time and he points, he goes, look, behold, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then in 1 Peter 2, 
It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. John the Baptist declares the lamb of sacrifice, the ultimate atonement. He's the final sacrifice to cover our shame and to cover our guilt. See, the cross is way, way bigger than we give credit for. And the cross symbolizes something different today than it did 2,000 years ago. Today, I ask, how is it, what does it represent? And for the most part, we say positive things. 2,000 years ago, it was terrible things. I heard just after the first service that the, the, the early church didn't even use the cross as a story that they would point to in the first 300 years because everybody thought it was a terrible thing to talk about. They're like, I don't want to be associated with that. So what if I told you, what if I told you the cross is about all the good things and all the bad things? What if everything was at the cross? What if all the beautiful and terrible things were found at the cross? What if all the wonderful and horrific things were at the cross? What if we find beauty, but we also find brokenness? What if we found amazing things, but we also sound, found really messy things? All at the cross. Maybe we find the mess of our humanity, the darkness of this world, and the beauty of God at the cross. And maybe we can bring all this stuff in our life. And some of you I know, you don't even, it's hard to even let this come out, but we let all the broken, sinful, hurting, painful, lost, confused, frustrating, angry things, the things that we're carrying, the weight that we feel, the pressure that we feel, the things we think we got to do, the stress we walk with in life. What if we took all of that to the cross and at the cross, at the foot of the cross, we actually found things like peace and hope and freedom and love and grace and mercy and the beauty of God intersected the mess of our humanity and the brokenness of who we are as people and our lostness in ourselves and our confusion of how to engage the world. And we came to the cross and we said, God, I can't do this. I have to surrender to the cross because it's in the death of these things that I will find true life. You will resurrect. There's gonna be this power in the cross that will resurrect something beautiful. And here's what I'm realizing is that we've treated the cross in the church as a moment, as a one, like, first moment of entry into the church. Like, oh, you want to come to Jesus? You got to just say, you know, thank you, God, for my sins. And, I mean, thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins at the cross. And, and, and thank you for dying. And then you move on from the cross. And I'm realizing I need the cross every day of my life. Every day of my life I need the cross because I am still a broken person. I'm still a messed up person, confused, frustrated, carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders when he's like, why are you doing that? I already did it. I already did it. Today, I don't know if you come in seeing the cross as the power of God or if you see the cross as foolish. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. I know that there's a lot of us that people would think you say it's the power of God. But in your heart, you haven't quite decided if it's the power or foolish. And I get it. You struggle. 
And I just would say, I hope the Holy Spirit's power is at work through the story of cross and the story of the cross in your life. I pray you feel it. And I just want to say, we aren't in this church as we pray for more of God. We aren't asking for more signs. We aren't asking even for more wisdom. We are asking for the power of the cross. We're asking for the resurrection power that Jesus overcame, that we can bring all of the mess of humanity and ask Jesus to do something with it. So I'm just going to invite us to sort of respond to the cross today. So if you want to bow your heads. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to just move right now. Holy Spirit, would you move in this room? And the power of the cross, I want to pray that it meets every person right where they are. You know, earlier this week, I was in the prayer room, and I just had a, I had a, I was praying, and, and I, for our church, and I just had this um, sense that the Lord wanted to free people of some weight that you're carrying on your shoulders. And when I say shoulders, it might not, I mean, I don't know how you, how you carry weight, but it, it sense like it almost feels like it's pressing in on you. And some of, for someone in this room, I think it's the, it's the pressure to perform and to produce, and like you're every day getting up, like, feeling this constant pressure and it's a weight and it's weighing you down and it's stressing you out and God wants to say we bring it to the cross and trust me with that for others I think the weight is relational pain and hurt you've got some weight that you've been carrying and it's it's really feels cumbersome on top of you and it's time for you to just say Lord I'm going to surrender that at the cross today I'm going to ask for you to bring new life from that, to release that. It's almost like this weight, by the way, is going to be just brushed off your shoulder. You're like you're feeling it, and it's just going to kind of just kind of fall away. And for others, I think it's not just the weight of, uh, I think it's just the weight of stress. Um, you stress a lot, and it's time to, it's time to say, Lord, I, I'm not, I don't need to carry that weight. You already did it. And I just want to walk with you, Father. Will you help me release the weight of putting pressure on myself? And so that weight and that stress for you is self-induced, and you know it is. So maybe today it's the time to let yourself free out of the prison of your own mind that you got to do more. For others, I think it's the weight of the sin on your life. You constantly feel that. You carry that, that weight of sin, and God wants to, Jesus wants to cover your sin and forgive you today because he already did it. He's the final sacrifice for all time. All we must do is receive his gift surrender at the cross and so I'm inviting you to come to the cross today and this altar is sort of the foot of the cross for us today you can come and you can bow and you can pray you can ask that weight to come off of you and to say Lord I'm placing it at your feet right now I don't need it anymore I don't want to carry it anymore thank you for what you've did on the cross for me that you already bore that weight for me I'm giving it I'm, I'm, I'm taking it off I'm letting you just pull that off of me today Father 
For others, I, I think you might want to come and pray on your own, and others might need to actually come and receive prayer. And so if you're walking in sort of just a season of a lot of weight and you just want someone to pray with you, I and some others will be over on your right side, and you can just come over and you can pray with us. We're just going to pray, of course, that weight off. Maybe it's not even about weight. Maybe you have another prayer need. You're like, I have a need, and I need prayer today. Well, let's do it. Let's not leave this place without praying to the Lord uh, of heaven for whatever that need is. He says we can ask. So we're going to ask, we're going to seek, and we're going to knock today. And so that's going to be right over here on the right. You can come and receive prayer. Just line up if we're praying with someone else, and we'll pray with you uh, before you leave today. This altar's open. I'm inviting you to come and respond to the message of the cross today. Father, we thank you for the power of the cross. We pray now that as we move, as we sing, as we worship, but also as we kneel and pray, as we pray with one another, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would move in this room in a way that just allows freedom to take place. God, we love you. We trust you. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us and feel free to move to this altar to times of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.